0: listening to sci-fi tv rewatch episode 369 my name's dave and i'm joined as always by my co-host wayne to discuss the second episode of nbc peacock's adaptation of the classic aldous huxley novel brave new world and you know like we were saying before we started recording uh, i i guess we're both realizing that not as many people have read the novel as we believed heading into this and not sure why that is, but it is. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's probably a fair number of
1: people who have read it, but there's also probably a ton of people who haven't. There's probably a lot of people who, after they see a couple episodes of Brave New World, were like, "Hey, I want to read this book." You know, um, th- there's a couple things that you know. In reflection of the last week, I'm like, I shouldn't assume that people have read the book, and that's and there's not here nor there. I, you know, being a very much an academic snob, if I say. Oh well, you haven't read the book, so you should have by now. It's been you know out there for you know almost a century now. So you know, I mean that's that's not right because there's loads of people who are coming to it for the first time here, and so um, you know, I'm going to definitely minimize my reference. Well, but I mean it's it's going to be easier now because episode two really really departs from the book but yeah you know, I, I think i still justify in talking about the novel in the for episode one because it's building that world so comparing the two worlds that huxley built and that you know they built for the tv show but uh, the departure from the novel now is is so dramatic that uh i really don't you know I, it'll be much easier for me to shut my mouth and to just talk about the the tv show as as, it, as its own work uh, of art and not keep comparing it to the novel So I apologize for
0: that. Well, I think we'll both know when it's appropriate because one of the things that occurred to me as I was watching episode two is the way both main characters are described in the novel. And Lenina is, of course, described as beautiful in the novel, which she, of course, is in the series as well. But she's also described as being... Uh, relatively promiscuous, even for their period, you know, even for their society in the novel, and you know, we get that scene when they get to the hotel and she sees the conjugal pool, and it's like her eyes light up, like, "Yeah, dude, this is good," <laughs> and and of course he kind of is a bit reticent to take that step at that point. So, you know, things like that. I I think we'll know when it's appropriate to bring up the novel and, you know, when it's best to leave it. But as you said, I mean, episode two, the the departure has begun. And, you know, like Fred mentions in his feedback about the Shakespeare and whether or not we're going to get that, in the series or are they going to substitute another book for Shakespeare we still don't know right but and, and I forget what the other book it's in, in the novel he has Shakespeare and i forget whatever whatever the other book is i don't know if it's the bible i don't think oh it's the bible, i think it is it, the bible it,
1: okay. it is it
0: is that's it yep and and that's his frame of reference so we'll see whether they just leave that aspect Out of the series or whether they go uh in another direction regardless uh i thought this was a great episode maybe even better than the pilot
1: yeah yeah i think so i I mean i don't mean to say yes obviously but but i'm just saying i agree with you that i i liked the pilot but at the end of this one i was like damn you know like it really uh they really turned it up for for episode two here so Yeah.
0: So listen, why don't we take a quick break because we're heading into the discussion proper and we haven't talked about what we're watching yet. And uh, there's two things I want to mention. One, as it turns out, is a Dutch Netflix series called The Twelve, which it appears, you know, on the surface to be the Netherlands answer to Twelve Angry Men. And it's, of course, following the 12 members actually 14 members because there are two alternates of a jury and a murder trial and so far it's pretty good i was reluctant to watch it my wife kept promoting it and finally i agreed because we had you know nothing else to watch at that point so pretty good the other thing though and you've probably seen it on your Netflix feed as well. And maybe you've even seen it because it dropped January 1st of 2020. It's a show called Messiah. Have you seen it or do you know what I'm talking about? So I don't think so. The the basic premise is that this guy just kind of appears in the Middle East and people start following him. And the question becomes, is he the second coming of christ is he you know you know the messiah and of course there's nothing that's really known about him and as this is going on we're following the events through the eyes of a female cia agent whose you know area is the middle east and of course she's extremely skeptical about what she sees and then that story parallels a young, yeah, he's probably about sixteen or seventeen, young man in the Middle East, and his journey as well. So it, it's it's really a nice parallel. And while you get to the end of the season, and it's really a bombshell uh, closing. Apparently, they got canceled for season two. And I think if you make it through the entire series, you're almost like, what the hell are you thinking, Hope. Netflix? And why has another network not picked it up? Maybe it's considered too controversial. I don't know. I, I know the country of Jordan asked Netflix to not stream it into their country. So regardless, I, I think it's, one of those shows you know is it science fiction no is it speculative fiction absolutely because it really looks at what would the world's reaction be if these religions that believe in a second coming you know if it comes true so uh, it's definitely worth checking out i think the messiah or it's not the messiah it's just messiah so anyway what do you got Alright. Well I got a couple things.
1: first of all, I'm gonna give a shout out to Perry Mason, because uh episode eight, the last episode for this uh this first season, uh just aired last night. And uh I was I I really liked this this series. I thought it was really good. Um obviously I, I'd said before, this is if you were looking for Perry Mason, like the classic television show this is not the place to go looking for that, like even a little bit. In fact, there's a, a really funny scene in uh last night's episode where you know Perry's preparing for to the big, you know, last day of the trial or whatever tomorrow and this guy is helping him he says No, don't do that. He's like what? He's like people never confess on the stand, you know? And that was like <laughs> The biggest thing of the of the show, right? The, the original show was that he always got someone to to break down on the stand and and confess in front of the judge and everyone that they did it. That's that kind of little funny shout out to the original show there. I thought was really cleverly done, but it was just a, a great uh, great show. When you want a character who has this simmering anger underneath him all the time you can't find a better actor than matthew reese i think even his his resting face is a frown i think so but uh he does a great job with with uh, showing this the a, a very human perry mason because you know like i said the, the perry mason we, we know from the television show is almost an icon and not necessarily a very necessarily realistic as a rounded character as a person this was great. Um, the other show I'd like to shout out to is I don't know. If, have you heard of maniac? With uh, I
0: have, and I saw the first couple. It didn't really grab me enough to keep going. Right.
1: See, that's the thing. You just watched the first couple um, because, like, I, I I will admit that um, it it does not start off super great, and, and it's kind of and especially because the, these. The, the two characters uh, played by Emma Stone and and Jonah Hill um, are definitely people who are not, they're not, not people we would naturally be drawn to. But it is really worth it, to, I think, to hang in there with this because especially, the, it's basically two people who get involved with this uh, pharmaceutical experiment, I guess, um, this drug, the the girl Emma Stone, she like you know she she basically kind of cons her way into it. And Jonah Hill plays the son of a, a wealthy family who's kind of the black sheep of the family, and he's got psychological problems and everything. Uh, both of them are definitely loners, outcasts from society, and. So while at first it, it does admittedly take us a while to you know get into these characters, once they start doing the, the the trials, where basically each episode they imagine themselves in some other world or situation, it's it's crazy, but you know it it, it really focuses on these two characters, and by the time it all wraps up, we really come to care about them a lot and and are invested in their story so um but yeah i i agree that the 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 first necessarily you know at least two episodes are are probably you know not necessarily are going to grip you and of course that's a problem nowadays with especially with netflix you can't you've got to grab people at first but in the end i think it, it was well worth it i enjoyed it a lot so
0: okay cool All right, well, let's get back to Brave New World, episode 102, Want and Consequence, written by David Weiner, directed by Owen Harris, who also directed 101. You know, one of the things that strikes me about this episode is the continued world building, which is certainly understandable. But episode three, which is titled Everybody Happy Now! exclamation point, not question mark, because in this opening scene with Lenina and Bernard, who are obviously on this journey of discovery as is, uh, John the savage, but we get that scene where Franny and Lenina are watching that room full of children <laughs> being instructed in the society's way of life. I think condition. While would probably Franny be a better... Yeah, exactly. And it even, I think it's called the conditioning room or something. You can see it at the top of the screen. But all levels are present, and I think we all find it interesting that the kid that gets zapped is a higher level who's messing with an epsilon. Right. So even though later on, of course, we see the scene on the bus and and the uh, the rocket where the little A plus uh, asswipe is. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was know, a little to, but <laughs> yeah, exert his power over lenina who's only a beta plus and um y- you know i i just found that interesting that that we see that conditioning taking place in in this manner but well, yeah also- if i could
1: actually just step in on that because I've-, I've actually thought of that scene a lot because obviously we're meant to think this kid is out of line he's a, a jerk uh he deserves everything that he gets from bernard but if we reflect back on that scene, we'll say, well, he's just a reflection of his conditioning, right? He's been taught this. He's, he's, for him, it's not necessarily, you know, he's, he's not out of line. It's just, this is just a thing. But when then, you know, but of course, when you say things like that, when you say that, then you say, oh, well, then that excuses all kinds of behavior in the real world if we just say, well, that's how they were brought up, right? So that's that excuses what they did. And of course that it doesn't, right? So I think Bernard's solution of of, of embarrassing the kid and then telling him to earn his A plus status is is kind of perfect. You know, it's like, no, he's not he's not excusing the kid. He's not saying, okay, well just because you're conditioned to believe this, he's like, well you're better than this. Um, so I, I kind of like that the you know ultimately the the message that delivers there.
0: Yeah, and we get the sense that Bernard has had to earn his status as an A plus because again we get the mention that there is something that is perhaps a bit sketchy about you know his uh, I guess genetic background and as Franny says he's probably not even an alpha, but I guess what also Comes out of this scene for me is the jealousy that Franny clearly exhibits toward Lenina. And no, everybody's not happy now. And even though we're meant to think Lenina and Bernard are unique in this dissatisfaction that seems to be brewing in this episode, I mean, somebody like Franny's got her own issues as well. So if she does, who else? Well, and, and that seems to be something. That, uh,
1: this theme that that is kind of coming out in fits and starts through the show is this idea of you can have, you can create a society that is controlled and that has you know that that is maintains order and peace, but there are just these elements of the human spirit
0: that don't you know fit into that right that there's there's, and sorry go ahead and seem to break through the conditioning and the drugs yes you know we we get a really cute scene when they're preparing to board the shuttle and she's holding her bags and we're (laughs) we're waiting for him to offer to take (laughs) her bags which he does and, and and he says you want me to help you with this and for him that just means looking at the porter yeah and getting his attention. Right. Um, but she's never been on a rocket before. And again, he, he's doing the, I hate to say typical male thing, certainly for the time this novel was written, it would have been the typical male thing for him to explain to uh, you know the uninformed female who knows nothing about science. Yeah. But uh, of course, the character does know about science and it really comes out here and he takes it in stride which i love he's been shot down but it's okay
1: right that's great yeah the the
0: mansplaining just gets kicked right in the butt that was awesome the other thing i find fascinating is that they lose touch with indra Mm -hmm. while they're in space and You almost wonder how they haven't gotten around that yet. I mean, at this point, I guess it's not all that important. But she starts to take a pill and he tells her, you're going to want to feel this. Again, it's one of those things that, oh, there are certain things you want to feel and certain things you don't. So we don't really know how the society at large has been conditioned it's okay to feel some things but not others, because I think we get the sense that we want to keep everybody on an even keel. I mean, we want to keep them horny because that's apparently <laughs> you know a, a good thing towards keeping people happy. Right. But you know, well, r- I think just as
1: as an alpha, especially with Bernard, and it seems I guess also with Lenina as a beta, that these higher castes have the ability to choose what they want to feel or not and you know and of course when we from you know Mon's discussion with Cjack 60 later it's clear that they are not given the option they of being able to choose when to feel and when not to.
0: Right and you know you mentioned that last week I think that the higher levels do have a little bit more of a sense of autonomy than the lower levels Uh, the epsilons virtually have none so they arrive at the hotel at the savage lands he's been there before she's just like a kid in a candy store looking around uh of course i mentioned the scene when the clerk mentions the conjugal pool and her eyes light up but her eyes also light up when he hands her a guidebook and the fact that it is a bound volume, as we're used to, even in 2020, there are still books out there. Yeah, they do exist. Um, well, World. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, which you can read on your iPad or your yeah. Nook. Do they still have Nooks? I mean, I still have mine. Uh, I assume you still yeah, have yours. I do somewhere, yeah. Yeah, um, haven't used it in a while. But uh, again, there's something even in 2020, about holding the book in your hand. Yeah. Still, the, the fact that this bound volume gets her attention, there are just some really uh, clever things that they use, cultural references, and look. Well, first of the, the all, danger- when she, she takes the pamphlet for
1: the House of Monogamy and puts it inside the book, I'm just like, oh my God, everywhere I go with my wife, she goes over to the place where they have all the pamphlets and just starts grabbing them. So when we get home, it's like, why do we have all these pamphlets, you know, like every trip? So that cracked me up when she did that.
0: Oh, I thought you were saying that your wife was grabbing the brochure for the House of Monogamy and stuffing it in your pocket just <laughs> as a reminder. But Well, that too. But uh, they go to the room. She's reading from the guidebook about the savage tradition of saving oneself for marriage, which, again, evolves into this really wonderful scene in the hotel room. And I I love it that, well, I suppose no one knows why, you know, the saving your virginity. What's virginity? Uh, I don't know. either. (laughs) (laughs) But he's. Put off by the fact that this is not the room that he asked for, and you know at first, I was thinking that all right, somebody's just messing with him, not sure why we don't really get an answer as to what happened, Of course, they have a great view of the conjugal pool, which sure. again her her eyes light up and and uh we learn that he's trying to recreate a visit he had when he was a teenager and, and he tells her i think it's still when they're on the rocket explaining why so many young alphas are on this savage land trip and it's to show them what the alternative is if they don't buy into their social structure and on the one level that makes perfect sense you know sure well he said
1: that you know the these are the ones that, that, you know, they're the alphas. They're the ones who are going to be making decisions and everything. So you know, they need to see a what he calls you know, a broken uh, society. And of course, you know, their version of, of the quote-unquote savage society is a caricature of, you know, actual, you know, modern-day American society. You know, nonetheless, yeah, you know, it makes sense that you would have, you know, you want some buy-in socially speaking from your um you know your your leaders and decision makers
0: yeah and you know the the build up of their almost sexual encounter is just done so wonderfully because they're talking about you know the uh, the savages philosophy of saving oneself for marriage and, and the big buildup and, and the reference to what we know is the uh, girls night out at the uh, stripper club. But of course, she's not really clear what any of that means. She's the one that initiates the clothing removal, but but then something stops her and that what if we're different? We could be different here, which is then setting up this whole scenario for these two, I mean, on the one level, we think, well, what is she saying? That we should get married? Well, they don't have marriage in right. their social construct. So, yeah. So, this scene, when I first saw it,
1: because it is hard to kind of necessarily hear what they're saying. Um, and he just talked about marriage, and then they break apart. I'm like, oh, really cool, Bernard. You just messed it up. But <laughs> when I went back and watched it the second time, is that they are getting themselves worked up at the thought of re-
0: holding back
1: and and waiting to have
0: sex. Uh, and then we get them boarding the school bus. And, and I love the fact that it's an actual school bus. E- yeah. You know, and it just adds... Certainly a, a level of realism, although in the real world in 2020, I don't think we're going to be seeing very many school buses operating. <laughs> at, no, no. At least in states that have a clue anyway. but uh, Right, right. Which Georgia apparently is not one. Oh, my God. But did you see I, that picture? I did, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, now, in the novel, I think it's referred to the time period as like the 2,500 I think here oh, yeah. we we learned that 200 years ago the savages chose to pass on the chance to be part of the world state. So so whether this is 2220 or 22 something again, it's not really important. I think that's that's kind of a little thing. But as there, no, but, but you're right
1: in that. It, from what we've seen of the savages, though, their society definitely looks like early 21st century type thing because you know john goes I, I don't even know what that thing is he has but it looks like it's you know some kind of like you know digital files that he's able to listen to music with um so that you know would clearly put this you know at least in the early 21st century
0: right it almost looks like he has some sort of little sd cards that maybe have music that he plugs in or 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 whatever but as they're riding to the savage land the tour guide's pointing out the complete unit with pregnant mom dad and two kids And, and and of course lenina's horrified at the prospect of actually carrying a child and then giving birth because again it's not something that takes place in their society you know once they get there again we get that scene with that kid from the plane or from the rocket who now wants her seat so he can have a better view i don't know that she understands chivalry i'm not sure he understands chivalry or even just common courtesy right but he's gonna step up for her
1: yeah uh, i think they do. I think they they both do. I think she appreciates what Bernard does for her, and you know, and, and, I, and I wouldn't say, this, but I'm just really quickly want to say that this Bernard is is so much different than the Bernard from the book, um, you know, who is a much shallower, weaker person. You know, this Bernard, like Fanny tells Lenina, you know, he, he's you know, there's rumors, and we I mentioned I guess last week that rumors about. Bernard's conditioning and uh, decanting process where, you know, something happened to him as an embryo where he's not actually an alpha. Um, So Bernard has to deal with this crap, but he certainly has a basic, you know, decency that we see here. You know, he's not protecting Lenina because, oh, I want to, you know, I want to get laid later, so I need to impress her. He is protecting her from just on a human level right as you don't treat people like that which is basically his lesson to the kid is you have to learn how to treat people you can't just go around like that all the time
0: right it's not what you say it's how you say it and right you know maybe that kid hasn't gotten that lesson in conditioning school yet uh, or but regardless um you know i i mentioned a lot of the little cultural references that are sprinkled throughout this episode and Again, anytime you have a a show like this, you run the danger of maybe doing it too often. I don't think that's the case here. They go to the House of Want for their first (laughs) performance. For the Day of Black. (laughs) Yeah, the Savage Holiday. I think think they may even say that it's their most revered holiday. Right, right, and of course we recognize it immediately as a Black Friday rush to the nearest fill in the blank Best Buy whatever <laughs> store that. Yeah. Uh, generally, well, they look need at to you sell- Walmart. <laughs> uh, yeah, Walmart exactly. <laughs> and we see the new world are sitting in seats behind glass. They're eating popcorn as they watch the savages trample others to gain an advantage. And dude, I I guess the real takeaway is that's not really that far from the actual truth. Exactly. I mean, people have died
1: on black Friday, right? Sure. Like people have been crushed to death. So yeah, it's, I mean, it is an exaggeration, but it's not a necessarily that great of one. You know, they, they kind of get, <laughs> obviously, you know, all of these things are to teach the, the, the alpha kids a lesson. Right. Uh, and, or or to teach really any visitor a lesson is that this is how it was before. We definitely don't ever want to, to be back there like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, Because that was, that was brutal. But you you also can see like from, and you know, like I don't, I I meant to look up with the, the leader of the rebellion here, her name is, but you know, from her perspective, these alphas sitting there eating popcorn, watching people beat the crap out of each other. Well, that's perverse as well.
0: Well, sure, and and you know we'll get to it in a few minutes. But as she also points out, the savages that perform these shows for the new worlders are just as guilty as the new worlders and and of yeah, course she calls collaborators them collaborators which we yeah. you know were, were certainly not surprised when that happens but uh, when they get to the house of monogamy which is their their next stop surprise surprise lenina wanted to go there <laughs> she removes her sandals right and It was really, I think, a poignant moment because it's almost as if she somehow freed herself from her restrictions, and they make a point of showing her walking barefoot on some grass. I mean, it's not like uh, a great-looking lawn or anything, but it makes you wonder, well, have you never walked barefoot in actual grass before?
1: Exactly, and probably not, right?
0: Yeah, probably not. So just, you know, the restriction of of the sandals is, is one thing. And, and just the the really sensation she gets from being a, a savage, if only for a moment. Right. And you
1: see that she, you know, the, 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 the savage lady is having kind of the opposite effect on Lanina that's supposed to have, right? Sure. Like, she's supposed to be horrified or by by this but really she's attracted to it and she and you know that's what the whole scene with with her and Bernard when they you know decide to delay having sex uh they they want to be perverse quote unquote uh in their world right they they want to see what withholding sex or practicing monogamy is like you know and again why that is necessarily we don't really necessarily know at this point except that they both you know just feel these these vague kind of longings and differences that they feel is different from everybody else but uh but yeah like you know absolutely she I mean, she's the only one who does it, right, who takes her shoes off to feel actual grass on her feet. And I think it's definitely, t- you know, it kind of harkens back to when they're on the rocket and she's the only adult that unbuckles herself to float around. You know, she has this kind of love of of experience and life that uh, that obviously she's not really supposed to have so much.
0: Right, and as she tries to free herself in, in these ways, park administrator cortez and and dude he looks so familiar and i forgot to look up the actor's name but he greets bernard bernard of course doesn't even know who he is but what we piece together the longer the two talk is that you you know you were sent here by the director to take my place and apparently he forgot to tell you
1: yeah yeah he doesn't tell him that per se but yeah we definitely get that insinuation um, where, you know, he says, oh, did he not tell you or something like that, you know, and uh, we're like, ah, so the director. Now, you know, I, I'm trying to think, well, it, and again, I said, but just, you know, in the novel, there is a definite, you know, Bernard definitely does things to piss off the director. Uh, here, I know the director, you know, thought that, Bernard, they talked about how Bernard was being too private, but Bernard was still respectful and, and you know, was not rebellious or whatever um, to, to earn the director's ire as, as he does in the novel. So, um, but I guess just the, the, this dangerous amount of privacy that Bernard has been displaying has, has been enough to uh, cause the director to think he needs to be exiled.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk about John the Savage's uh, journey for a bit. It, it, it doesn't take up a lot of screen time, but right away, did you recognize the guy in the commercial? Oh yeah, Rich Hall. Yeah, man, that oh, was awesome. God. That was yeah, awesome. yeah, that
1: was so awesome. I was he was one of my favorite cast members of Saturday Night Live back in the day. Yeah,
0: but his mom shuts off the TV, and you know we we get where she's coming. Oh, we're not going to talk about thanks, buddy. Well, on, okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the responsibility bracelet, <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, her, his, his mom accuses his girlfriend that I'm making air quotes of locking him in that baby trap. And, and of course he's desperate to get out of here, even though, as she says, where are you going to go? Yep. But it's all, all about her. Well, if you leave, what's going to happen to me? And right. you know, as any good son of his age with a mother that you know is reasonably healthy, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you know, mom, what happens to you is up to you. You know, you're you're not that old. You can you can yeah, deal I, with but, it. Yeah, but. I I think he that that her basically
1: you know, everything they talk about is like, where can we go? What can we do? You know? So it's like, I don't think John's really separating himself from his mom, which is not great for someone of his age. He should developmentally gotten to a point. um, Grant, Your mom's hot. So, okay. That that could, there could be some Oedipus things going on there. I I shouldn't say for the first time because I can't remember from, you know, if he really expressed his desire to get out before, but this idea of I need you know I need to get out of here like that that puts him in line with Lenita and Bernard as being someone and we talked about this last episode of, of being just of experiencing discontent and not being you know not accepting what is you know put in front of them you know where can they go though that's the thing like he, he, there is literally nowhere for, and <clears throat> he does say to his mom is you know he's not real. He's not coming, and you know, again, who is that? That he, you know, that they talk about. Like, what does that
0: mean? He's not real. He's not coming. Right. We well, having read the novel, we kind of know what she's.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I said I wouldn't say that anymore. I know, so I, I got
0: well, I tricked not, you into saying it at that time, but <laughs> <laughs> right, we're not going to answer it. But uh, um, yeah, I- exactly, um, and then that scene where John and the actors are getting ready for that day's production, which is of course at the house of monogamy (laughs) and which I love,
1: I I was really disappointed that this uh, didn't get to play out a little bit further. I was really gripped by the drama of it.
0: Well, you know, in the written reviews I do for den of geek, I always start them by pulling out a quote from that episode, usually a piece of dialogue there's nothing more dangerous than live theater. And (laughs) obviously the foreshadowing of that statement, he has no way of knowing what's going to actually happen, but I just want to show these people something true. And despite the stilted dialogue and the, you know, the, the terrible acting, for these new worlders, you know, there is some element of truth in this production. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on whose side you're on, the, yeah. the play doesn't transpire as, as planned. And, and we'll get to, to that in a second. But it just really, I, I found it interesting that he sees himself as an artist. And I guess in his world, he is. And it begs sure. the question do they have art in the new world? Um, yeah. That's, I mean, we that's don't a, know yet at this point.
1: In the novel, there, there is like this kind of movies that they go to, but we haven't seen that in, in the show yet. And John did talk about, or, you know, that the shop owner or whatever had mentioned, like, don't make music anymore. But we don't know if that's just for the the savages or if that's a thing in in the so yeah we don't really that's that's a great question we haven't really seen I guess evidence uh, of art or drama or anything like that in in the Brave New World
0: right and we don't know if it in fact exists in the Brave New World and somehow makes its way into the Savage Lands or maybe even vice versa I mean you almost wonder well why. Aren't savages creating music? Surely they have in, uh, instruments with sure. which to make music. I would certainly think the uh, technology exists to record it, but uh, you know, who knows? We, we've really seen this very tiny slice of what life in the savage lands is actually like, but it does create that turning point for John Lenina and Bernard and you know during the the wedding scene where he's explaining about the priest and i guess that's the 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 headgear that the pope wears i forget what it's called now the mitre, yeah um but he oversees the transfer of ownership to be certain both sides are satisfied with the exchange and again on the one hand it's a uh, kind of a comical scene but I, I guess when you analyze the entire scenario and the entire transaction it, it is kind of kind of meaningful and it's it she'll kill me for saying this but when my wife and I got married many years ago um, and they brought the proofs of the wedding invitation for her father to you know go over he had written because you know the the person doing the the printing had said well no here's what you gave me instead of writing help make our joy complete he had written help make our job complete <laughs> which again is hilarious right. on so right. many that's, levels i mean it's
1: so much better that way than we really I, think I about know. Yeah, but but yeah well when you that that's the thing that the the show really pulls out is when you look or at this episode especially when you look at our world and our beliefs from an objective outsider standpoint the it does seem they 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 are strange like why did they do that uh when she asked you know about like not having sex with anyone else like why do they do that well yeah (laughs) why why, you know, again, I think, you know, for the most part, we're kind of necessarily, I don't know if that, that happens a lot anymore where, you know, people get married and that's the only person they'll have ever been with and ever will be, you know, well, hopefully ever will be after they get married. But, you know, they've probably had multiple experiences before they get married nowadays. But, but yeah, but it, it begs the question, why, why do these things occur? And when you, and it's funny because when, like, the tour guide, when referring to like the family that they pass by um, talks to them like they're on like a safari or something and that they're, they're beasts, you know, like, Oh, we don't usually see the female out in the daytime and everything like that. So, yeah. So, so, you know, when you get that objective standpoint uh, sometimes a lot of your customs tend to be, you know, you question them.
0: Right. Now, you know, we talked last week about the location of the Savage Lands, and in the novel, it's New Mexico. Um, but given what happens in this scene, you know, now maybe they're intending it to be Texas because, of course, yeah. once one person pulls out a gun, everybody pulls out a gun. Yeah. And it did appear that Madison's gun had live ammo because you really saw. You know when she uh shoots uh, I can't remember his name uh, yeah well his
1: sh- gun did too because he he shot the guys like you see blood come out the back of the guy who's playing the groom right. so I think all of them had live ammo
0: right and then of course the you know the terrorist group or whatever we want to refer to them as uh, I, I think the leader's name is, is it Eileen I wrote, oh Sheila. And okay. you know her crew comes up and and they just massacre everybody and as she says, traitors like these who gave it away and and she's including the actors because they're just perpetuating all of this and 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 really i guess kind of sublimating themselves. they took our land, they didn't take our dignity, and even to the point where we learn after all hell breaks loose that they know there were 22 on the bus, seven dead, two are missing. And of course we know the two missing are Bernard and Lenina. Madison tells the leader, she's got people searching. And then as Sheila says, well, they're not made for running. And then we great, we get that great scene when she tells John collaborators must be held to account. And my wife was watching it with me. It's like, is she going to kill him with that knife? I'm like, I don't think so. And then, of course, she turns the handle his way. You don't wash cars anymore. And again, uh, he's gone down a path that there's no turning back now.
1: Right, right. I, I, I wonder why he wasn't counted as one of the collaborators. I mean, what makes him, except for his... I guess maybe his relationship with in with, air quotes around that, I guess his relationship with, with Madison because otherwise he doesn't really strike I me mean, like what separates him from the rest of those people who worked on the production that they are marked for death, but he is not because well, he's not a, a believer when, when she says, you know, are, like are you a human being he throws up so that was one of my questions at the end of this, is is you know how how does john what distinguished him that he is not a collaborator in some way
0: i guess i looked at it as if madison through her relationship with john senses his dissatisfaction with life as they know it and Look, Sheila is going to need more recruits if she's going to succeed in, in you know what she wants to do. So they've got to constantly be bringing new people in, and well, we, she'd
1: probably not kill as many people too, though.
0: Well, I mean, that's like. true, but uh, <laughs> again, maybe Madison has let Sheila know that everybody else here is buying into their acting thing or whatever. But no, John, you know he he's somebody we can convert to our way of thinking and we then see that yeah you were kind of wrong because he he finds john and lenina and, and the other thing i found interesting is that lenina seemed to know instinctively what to do with a gunshot wound i i, I can't imagine that they have anything like that in their society nor well, yeah right. do i imagine They even have TV shows or movies that would show it. Look, you and I have never, I don't think you have, have ever witnessed somebody getting shot like that. But I think we've seen enough TV and film to know what to do.
1: I I would probably know as much as Lena knows, which is, but still, like you know, to to put direct pressure on the wound, right? Yeah, but I you've mean, seen it;
0: she's never seen right, it, right? Exactly,
1: right. It, it, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I thought. It's like I could probably you know get as far in the first aid as Lena has, but she has has. There's no reason why she should know even have an idea of of what to do here. But with that, also, I like. Well, you know, Bernard, as people are, as the kid gets shot right in front of him, he's like, you know, this didn't happen last time, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, and he's just in complete shock and it's Lenina who is the one that has to have the presence of mind to get him up and moving and ultimately to to, to treat his wound and so it's, it's kind of, I, I really like that. That twist there of the you know the male sweeping in to save the the helpless female well in this case the the male is the helpless one and lenina has to be
0: the action hero right right exactly and and in his defense because i was a little disturbed that he didn't get his act together more quickly he'd been shot and we don't he know has it. been shot there we don't is know that. it at that point doesn't take anything away from everything you said about Lenina's response because she takes charge immediately. And, and again, while Harry Lloyd, the actor, is not a, a big guy, you know, she's dragging him along. And I guess the adrenaline is kicking in. I mean, whatever adrenaline has not been suppressed by the soma that they've right. been taking. But. Regardless, we've got the three of them now in a hotel room. Now what? Because yeah. the fact that he's telling her be quiet leads us to think that well, maybe something we're not expecting to happen is going to happen. And I'll stop at that point because we need to spend a little bit of time with C Jack Sixties journey. Well, but hold on before we just yeah. move on, just because you know when we
1: talked about. Lenina, you know, taking off her shoes and picking up the dead bird, um, you know, John sees that. So I don't know whether he's, like, attracted to her because she picks up dead birds or just that she just is an attractive female who stands out to him. He notices her as he's cleaning the windows before the, um, you know, the monogamy massacre occurs. Um, But, so, so there is... Something that she doesn't necessarily notice, I think she does notice John a little bit, but he really notices her and so um yes, yeah, so, so you know that he he clearly is you know going to show up to 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 help them out somehow, um, mm-hmm. which again is is a big risk for him, obviously, we just saw what what these rebels can can do um so for him to be helping out Lenina Bernard is gonna, you know, definitely put him at risk.
0: All right. Well, attraction to dead birds. She must have a little bit of Doppler in her. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. True. All right. Well. <laughs> well. C. Jack sixty. We see director and we we haven't heard the first name. We've heard her referred to now as World Controller Mond. In the novel, Mustafa Mond is a dude. So, uh, you know, the actor that they have chosen here, Nina Sociana, I've seen in tons of things. One show I've mentioned on the podcast, Marcella, his dark materials she was in. She was in Good Omens. She was one of the nuns. She's she's great. So... Yeah. uh, Well, and she was also
1: really, really, really good in... um, I think like David Tennant's maybe like third episode of Doctor Who that uh, Fear Her, which was like the little girl who was up in a room drawing pictures and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she was the mom.
0: Oh, I forgot about that. Okay.
1: So, yeah, so she played a, a mom in Doctor Who and she played, uh, you know, Will's mom in um, his dark material. So it's nice to see her moving from playing a mom to a Mond.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Nice. Um, Drum roll, please. Thank you. I'll be here all week.
0: (laughs) Now, we certainly made the connection last time about about touching the head of C-Jack 57 and feeling something. Director Mond makes that connection as well as she watches the video replays. And she sees C-Jack 60 touch the dead Jack's head, get some kind of jolt. And she asks him, Did anybody else touch the body? Soma man. I'm like, okay. So, you know, she certainly sees that there's something amiss here, even though the director seems to be relatively clueless or at, at the least not very inquisitive about something that has happened that apparently doesn't happen very often.
1: Yeah, well, for him, the death of an epsilon, big deal, right? I mean, you know, in his perspective, this is not a concern at all. But um, you know, director Mond, or controller Mond is able, obviously, to see the larger picture here. We don't know who she is at first, but it's clear the director is deferential to her, which is is great. I think it's it's awesome that they picked a woman of color to play the person who's basically in charge of everything i i I think that was a great move by the the people who cast this thing um but yeah and we see the director who is yeah pretty pretty clueless and uh you know controller mind who um is able to actually manipulate and see things through you know multiple people's perspective and stuff it's cool
0: all right anything else you want to bring up that we haven't talked about yet
1: uh i think think we probably covered everything that's in my notes as far as I can see. Okay.
0: All right. Well, why don't we hear what Fred has for us this week in listener feedback, and we will be right back.
2: Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Brave New World Season 1, Episode 2. First off, in this section, what are we watching? I'm currently, of course, watching Winona Earp. Although, I have to say, I was not prepared that well and was not following all the social media, etc., ahead of the season 4 premiere. And that for somebody who even visited to Ruperpalooza fan conventions. It's just, well, as you said in the last podcast, a post-dark thing, perhaps. But nevertheless, in the meanwhile, I did watch the first two episodes, and it's a weird story. And I really have to get into it again, because it's a little bit too weird for me, actually, at the moment. But we will see what will happen. I did meet some actors in 2018 and 19, and that will give you, of course, a certain bond to a series. I'm quite angry at myself and actually a little bit at Audacity because I made a recording mistake. When I was recording a Winona Herb feedback for one of the other podcasts, I had overwritten my audio feedback for this episode 2 of Brave New World, which I already had recorded a week ago. This is because when you make a new recording in Audacity, and you don't pay attention, it just takes the name of the last thing you recorded. It overrides it. So I suddenly had a recording where the file said Brave New World Season 1 Episode 2 and when I played it, it was all about Winona Earp. Grrr. Well, the advantage now is that I could listen to your podcast and can react to that as well. One other thing I just watched yesterday is Star Trek Lower Decks, which is a cartoon. And I don't know yet what I think of it. It's, it's between a children's cartoon and an adult cartoon, with a lot of references, of course, to the Star Trek universe, but I still don't know if I like it. The concept is funny, though. It's called Lower Decks, and it's about the minor figures on a starship and their lives... And after finishing the first season of Marvel's Luke Cage, I'm allowed now to watch the fourth season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, thank you very much for your season 7 spoilers in the previous podcast. I strictly follow the Marvel Cinematic Universe timeline watch advice. And because of that, I also watched Doctor Strange with Benedict Cumberbatch, which I like a lot. In this timeline, Doctor Strange is positioned in between Luke Cage Season 1 and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 4. Okay, let's go into Episode 2 of Brave New World. First off, I was very pleased that there was not a lot of Shakespeare quotes in it, so it seems they didn't take that from the two TV movies Neither from the book, because I assume you didn't answer that question actually last week, whether in the book there are also a lot of Shakespeare quotes. And it is indeed, as you said, interesting whether the Shakespeare quotes will be replaced by something else in this series. And sorry Wayne, Shakespeare is not old English. But for me it sounds like at least older English. Okay, I'm an English literature savage. I know. As said in the last podcast, I like that there was a lot more world-building about the world outside the Brave New World. In the two TV movies, that is much less. The best scene in this episode I found actually that when Bernard and Lenina are in this hotel and not having sex and enjoying themselves about being naughty... And they even have fun about it later in the bus towards the savage camp. Such a very nice reversal. And it's actually the scene in the bus I find really terrific. I don't know how it's in the book, but I found it very peculiar that the world controller Mustafa Mundt is in this series a woman, whereas in the two TV movies it's a male, and in the 1998 movie it's even Leonard Nimoy, which we know as Spock. Normally I don't watch ahead, but the only way I permit myself that is first recording an audio feedback, so that I really don't know what's coming, and then watch the next episode. Because I already had recorded this audio feedback, but sadly overwritten it, I allowed myself to watch episode 3. Well, I'm not going to spoiler you, but if you are doubting to follow this series, please wait with your final decision after you watched episode 3, because there is a very nice and some quite different episode coming ahead. Greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. All right. Now, I know
0: you and I covered the first episode of Winona Earp on the podcast way back when. I don't think you continued with the series, right? I did not. Nope. And it's a show for me that just went off the rails really quickly. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people love the show. And then and, and that's great. You know, that's the great thing about TV these days. There's something out there for everybody. But sure. Um yeah I I quit midway through season 2. So Fred um you know I'm glad you have another show to do some feedback for and then dude your audacity issues even though I don't use audacity I uh, certainly can relate to that kind of a problem but uh Yeah. Now he mentioned that animated series Star Trek Lower Decks which I'd never heard of but I'm not a big animation guy I mean I do like South Park I will say <laughs> but when he mentioned the fact that it covers minor characters immediately I thought of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead which is sure kind of like the the classic play that examines the side characters from a major production which of course is, is hamlet that's obviously a nice segue into his question about the shakespeare quotes which we kind of talked about before that
1: oh oh oh, that, that's one thing i want to bring up so where we said there's not really shakespeare in um in this but yet they watch a play where everyone at the end is dead what's more shakespearean than that
0: Ah, nice good point i right? love it
1: so, um, Hi. well, Fred also talked about Fred is doing a hardcore MCU watch. If he's interspersing the movies with the the Netflix shows, I don't think they really tie into one another narratively, like at all. Um, but more power to you, man. We're almost done, we've been doing it for a couple months now because you know we're not able to get together every night to sit down together. But um, you know, a couple times a week, we'll sit down as a family and watch, you know, movie from the MCU. And we just watched Infinity War last night, so we are now at at Endgame, and we're, which is good because my uh, eldest is going back to college on Wednesday, so we're just, just going to creep. In. I don't know if we're going like, to Spider Man Far From Home is kind of like the, the technically the last movie of of that quote unquote phase. But I, I don't think we're gonna get that one in before uh he goes, but at least we'll get Endgame in, which pretty much wraps up the uh the MCU. So I, I'm with you on that. Though okay. I that's uh I I, I couldn't that, that's taking the next step to link it in with all the shows on um you know, on Netflix too.
0: Well you know, Michael and I are gonna record tonight uh for Den of Geek the uh our reaction to the final two episodes of Agents of Shield, which You know, is the series finale. And if you go online and, you know, read stuff about Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a lot of people are concerned, well, it deviates from the MCU universe. Well, I guess that's redundant. And I guess I've never cared. You know, it just never mattered to me that something doesn't make sense within the larger MCU. Well, so what? You got great characters, great storylines. That's all I need. I mean, yeah. again, I go back to what my wife always says, and I mentioned many times on the podcast, oh, you're okay with time travel, but those plot holes <laughs> bother you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if it would be even an
1: issue if they had never even tried to cross over at all. But, you know, I can't remember which season of yeah, Ages I know. of S.H.I.E.L.D. it was where the beginning... Takes place right after Age of Ultron, so I hadn't seen Age of Ultron yet. I'm like, oh shit! I guess I gotta watch Age of Ultron now to figure out what the heck's going on with uh, Agents of Shield. But they just—it was just like a passing reference to like the Sokovia Accords or something like that. Which I guess actually that was in um, Captain America: Civil War. But yeah. e- either way, yeah, you know, they early on they did make those references. So you know, maybe if they had never done that, then people wouldn't even be questioned because you're right. Like, who cares? Obviously, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does not really link up with uh, any of the MCU movies at all. And who cares? It's its own work, and it works on its own.
0: All right, Fred, thank you for the feedback. And I guess we'll leave that there unless you got anything else you want to mention. No,
1: I just, I'm glad, I wanted to bring in that, that, I thought it was really clever to me, but that Shakespeare thing, so I wanted to say
0: that. Nice, all right. <laughs> all right, well, listen, that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. If you'd like to shoot us an email, sci-fi-tv-rewatch at gmail.com. Encourage you, as always, join the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. We'll be back next time to discuss episode three of the NBC Peacock dystopian classic Brave New World titled Everybody Happy Now. But until then. Yeah, Dave,
1: um I'm sorry about yesterday beating you in the head and stuff.